Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Say to us, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We talked about that last week. Light in Scripture, basically, it's talking about two things, usually. It's talking about moral purity, and it's talking about illumination or knowledge or revelation. God is both of those things. He doesn't have those things. He is holiness, moral purity, and he is revelation. He is wisdom. He is knowledge. He doesn't just have knowledge. And then he says, in him, not only is God light, but in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, with regard to knowledge, there is no ignorance. And with regard to moral purity, there is no unholiness in God. There is no sin in God. That's who he is. All right? Now, verse 6, there is an if that connects with who he is. When you understand who he is, you start to understand who you are. And this is the first revelation. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That fellowship with one another, it means horizontal fellowship, but it's also vertical fellowship because in verse 3, John said, we're writing this so that you have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. In other words, one another is fellowship horizontally and fellowship vertically. And that's, the, that's actually uh, that's, that, that, that's the, that's the key to our sermon uh, series title right now, is the secret path to joy. The secret path to joy is found in one word in 1 John, the word fellowship. That when you come into fellowship, one, with others, with other like-minded believers, with other people who are following Jesus, that sparks joy. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you, might not, you might not agree with people politically, but you can still have joy connecting with people. Uh, you might not agree with people socially, but you can still have joy in the, in the fellowship because fellowship is not social fellowship. Fellowship is not hanging out together watching a football game, although... It can happen in those moments. Fellowship is alignment. Fellowship is agreement. Fellowship is where we are partners, where we are comrades, if you will, where we are in the foxhole together, where, we're, where we are following Christ together. And so fellowship is really alignment and agreement. And so he says, look, we, the joy comes from fellowship, horizontal fellowship, but also vertical fellowship, fellowship with God. And fellowship with God is what I started talking about last week. That fellowship with God is the greatest secret to joy. Getting all of your prayers answered is not the secret to joy. Having fellowship with Jesus, this is the secret to joy. Friendship with the Holy Spirit is the most deepest, reassuring, confident, thing that you can have in your life. Whatever you're going through, I'm telling you, friendship with the Holy Spirit will, will take you through any difficulty. It will keep you uh, from becoming depressed 
when you lose everything that you were relying on, but it'll also keep you from getting prideful when you gain everything that you thought you wanted. Because friendship with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, He reminds you who you are and whose you are. There is no relationship in the world like the friendship with the Holy Spirit. People spend hours and hours and hours trying to build solid uh, relationships because they believe that they can get something out of that solid relationship. In other words, like they'll go to marriage classes and they'll spend all kinds of time trying to make their marriage solid because they believe if their marriage gets solid, that if they have the affirmation of their spouse, that then they will be happy, that then they will be content, that then they will be confident. But as a married man and as somebody who's married to a married woman, I can tell you, I am not her source of confidence. I am not her source of strength. She is not my source of confidence. She is not my source of strength. There is a friendship with the Holy Spirit that is even more intimate because there's going to come a time when you, you, you might not even have your spouse. Right? We, Rose, pray, and I go first. But I don't know. There's a, there's a time she might not have her... Is that right? You want me to go first? Oh, no, you want to go first. Okay, I always get confused. I was supposed to go. I'm not sure. Am I, am I, do I need to die first? Do I need to drive faster in the car or what? I need to think about it. <clears throat> no, you want to go first. All right, well, you stop eating that healthy food. Just get you some pizza. You need to eat some of my pizza. I'll help you. Uh, no, but, but there will be a time someone's going to go first. There will be a time when some of the most intimate relationships in your life are going to disappear, either because they're unfaithful or they just can't, like they, their life ends. But that is when you know the depth of the intimacy with the Holy Spirit. When, what is that old hymn? When other helpers fail and comforts flee, Lord of the helpless, abide with me. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other will ever know. There's an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that is the secret to joy. The secret of joy is not getting your person elected. The secret of joy is not having the Senate be the way that you think it should be or the House, be the Congress be the way. Like those things are all superficial. Joy is not found in Netflix. Joy is not found in a vehicle. Joy is not found in a house. Joy is not found in a person. Joy is not found in a stage of life. Joy is not found in retirement. Joy is not found in, in children that you can take to a restaurant without them embarrassing you. Like, those are wonderful. All those things are wonderful things. And as somebody who has been blessed with so many awesome things, wonderful parents, great siblings, sisters-in-law, brother-in-law, I mean, wonderful relationships, great children, a great wife, a beautiful church, a car. Like, like I'm telling you, these don't sustain you. I wish, I wish the, the, the guy in the, jum, the, the preacher in the jumble jet would get out of his jumble jet and preach that. <laughs> Instead of, hey, God wants you to get a jumble jet too. No, like maybe that doesn't sustain you. Maybe that doesn't speak to your identity. Maybe that doesn't comfort you when you've lost everything. Maybe that doesn't deal with the disappointments of life. But it is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I could preach the entire uh, sermon on that. But seriously, this is the secret path to joy. And there are, though, the, and the enemy knows this. And so the enemy is constantly trying to disrupt your fellowship with Jesus. He's trying to disrupt your fellowship with Jesus. He's trying to, to, to misalign 
to break the alignment between you and Christ. He's trying to get you out of fellowship with Jesus because if he can get you out of fellowship with Jesus, we see what happens in 1 John. Then we start walking in darkness. And when we're walking in the darkness, we're not walking in fellowship with him. Even though we might say, I'm walking in fellowship with him because we think that, that, that somehow saying it. But, but no, the enemy is always trying to disrupt your fellowship. By the way, he's also trying to dis- disrupt your fellowship with each other too. And so we had a great message from that last week at Kairos, which I'm still mulling over and probably going to preach on at some point. But, but unity, that's, all, that's why unity is so powerful in the church. And what this, what this disunified world needs is a church that is unified. What this divisive world needs is a church that is connected and unified in spite of her differences. And, and the enemy is always trying to break us apart, and he's always trying to disrupt our unity, our connection with our head, who is Christ. And so that's where last week I started talking about an analogy of a chiropractor, how I went to a chiropractor for the first time uh, four years ago. The church was pretty young, and um, we had a guy, a family in the church, Greg. He was a chiropractor in Kyle. They have since moved to Dallas, so... No more free chiropractic trips for me. Um, but uh, I'd never been to a chiropractor before. And so I went to him and, and literally within one visit, he popped my neck, pop, popped my neck. And when he popped my neck, like my headaches went away. Right. And, and, I, and I explain how that's kind of like our, our first introduction to Jesus, that there's that time where I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. I don't know. I got the hymn thing going on. I, the, the garden and different, abide with me. I'm sorry. It's just, it's in my head now. But there's like, I remember when my burdens rolled away, I carried them free. Anyway, uh, anyway, like there's that moment though that we, that hymns sing about and say, and we sing about in church too, where, you know, there's this glorious day. I ran out of that grave. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the modern one. That's the modern one. Uh, but it's where we, where we celebrate the moment where God pop, popped and got us back into alignment. He popped our neck. He popped our spine back into alignment with the head. And suddenly the headaches went away. Suddenly the burden went away. Suddenly the burden of sin and the weight of, of our past just rolled off of our back. And that's wonderful. But I kept having headaches that next week. I had another headache. And so I was talking to him about that. And that's where he said, well, that's probably because your posture is off. And so I talked about last week, there are three things that I think disrupt our connection to the head to Christ. First off, it is our daily posture. So you can have a wonderful encounter with God, but if you walk away from that encounter and you go back to your former posture, you go back to your former habits, your former attitude, your former practices. The, 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 the alignment that you got in that moment will slowly begin to go away. Because you're, you're creating patterns in your life that are not helping reinforce the alignment. They are helping reinforce the misalignment. And so I talked about that last week. We have to change our patterns. Just out of curiosity, did anybody this week try to to change a posture or change a pattern this week. Anybody brave enough to say we got, we got somebody, anybody online, give us a little hand emoji. You actually said, I'm, I got a posture. There's a little posture. I'm going to change a little bit this week. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> All right, got an amen right here. Nice. It's hard to change your posture. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it, I mean, in, in one Sunday, it's, it, does, it takes more than that. 
It takes some faithfulness. It takes some, some, some reminding yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to respond like that anymore. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, takes some, it takes a while, but changing your posture is part of walking in the light. It's part of what brings us and keeps us in connection with the head. Because physically, your head, it, it runs everything. Your brain runs everything. Literally, uh, it, when people say it's all in your head, that's a, that's a real statement. Pain is merely your head receiving certain proteins from a particular nerve ending in your body somewhere that travels through your, your blood cells and comes up your spine. Everything connects to the spine and comes up the spine. Your brain doesn't receive signals any other way at all. This is the information highway right here. And, and, and basically, when your brain receives the, the protein, it says, oh man, I just stubbed my toe on the edge of the bed. And, and, and your brain, though, it doesn't, just, it doesn't just catch that information and send out pain signals. It also does something about it. Immediately, if you stubbed it hard enough, you're going to have some bruising. That's because your brain is telling your blood to pool in that particular area and bring healing. So your brain is, is up there dealing with all of your haphazard, all of your, your goofiness, all of your accidents, all your stuff, and all the stuff you eat. Your brain is what tells each part of your, your stomach to do different things at different times. And that's why, like, like any place where your, spine, your spinal cord is seriously injured, you'll have paralysis south of that place because there's no more signals getting through. And that's what happens when we lose our fellowship with Christ. You have paralysis and you have spiritual death. You have immobilization. You have spiritual death. And so fellowship with Christ is not only the best thing in the world, it literally is life. John says the light was the life of men. This is your life. This is my life. This is eternal life, actually. To walk with him. To have fellowship with him. And when we cut off him, we actually cut off our eternal life. And so it's so important that our, our, our spine, our spiritual spine comes into alignment. And there's some things that push it out. One is our daily posture. So as you're working on that, let me give you another one. And it's past trauma. I found that when I was, that I had past trauma that was getting my spine frequently out of alignment. Uh, this happened when I was, I think I was 22. I was at Bible college. We were playing. This is like my one and only sports injury story. So I kind of have to tell it. Every guy has to tell their one and only sports injury story. And so I was playing. I, I was big into soccer back in the day. And so then I went away to Bible college. We didn't have organized soccer, but we'd play in the, in, in the yard or whatever. And they, they, they had some nets and stuff. And so we were playing and I'm driving down, right? I'm, I'm a forward. There's, a, there's a, a, a guy in front of me who's a defender. He's backing up and I'm going about 75%. And, and I see there's another forward off to my right. And there's only one defender. So, you know, we got this. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. So I can either try to juke him and get around him myself, or I can just pass this thing off. And so I figure, yeah, he's kind of big. I don't really want to mess with him. So I just, I just do this, this great left-footed pass, which is difficult for me. The left foot is always tricky for me. So I do this left-foot pass, and I kind of guide it with my eye. I watch. He gets the pass. It's, it, he's in a line. He's not off sides. Everything's good. And then I turn and look, and the defender in front of me, I guess, has completely given up on the play. And he's, he's like 300, 350 pounds. He's shorter than me. And he just like stopped and lowered his shoulder. And so I'm running, you know, 75%, almost full speed. And all of a sudden, bam, his shoulder is right here in my rib. And I flip over him. 
and I'm looking up at the sky, sucking wind, you know, trying to breathe. And I'm like, what just happened? And so, yeah, very unnecessary. There was no referees, though. And so he thought he was playing football and we were playing soccer. And so anyway, uh, he, I mean, he, he, just, <clears throat> he, just, he just knew he was beat. This is the way I look at it. I'm like, you know, he's just a sore loser. And so I'm laying there and I'm like, I'm like, all right. So, so I go off to the side, but I'm 22 and I get back in the game because you just kind of bounce back when you're 22. And so I get back in the game and I'm playing. I'm like, man, I got this strong, like pain, sharp pain right here. But I think maybe it's like a, you know, like when, when, when you're running a lot and you get that stitch in your side. It's like, I mean, it's just, a, it'll, it'll, just, it'll just wear off, you know. And the next morning, it's still kind of there. And the whole week sitting through classes, like I'm trying to breathe and it, it's, I'm like, maybe I have cancer. Like, I don't know what's going on. I have a tumor here. Like, my brain just goes right to the worst possible thing. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. And so I finally, you know, I, I was going to school in Circleville, Ohio where they have the pumpkin show. And, um, and so I, I would drive home to Port Huron, Michigan on the weekends because mom need to do my laundry. And so I drive, anyway, I drive home on the weekends and I drive home and it's the most painful drive. I don't know if you ever had a fractured rib before, but I mean, you can't breathe. Breathing hurts, uh, sitting hurts, lying down hurts, just living hurts. And uh, trying to drive, you know, and I'm like trying to get comfortable. And, and uh, anyway, I finally get home and I go to this like outpatient sort of thing. They do some x-rays and they say, okay, you have a fractured rib. There's nothing we can do about it. Here's some pain pills. It'll just heal over time. Uh, but also your spine has is, is been knocked out of alignment. Um, and, it, and it's true. I had this wrapping, this pain that started here and wrapped around to my spine. It just kept going back and forth because at the corresponding spot where my, my rib was fractured, my, 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 my back was put out. So the guy, the guy, he's not a chiropractor, but he's a, he's, a, he's a doctor kind of of all trades. He's got this little drop table. He gets me on the drop table, which is not the best idea. But anyway, and he pushes and pops, pops my back into place. It felt way better instantly. I was like, oh, that's great. I feel good. Okay. And then, and then, and then that's it. He's just like, all right, go home. Just, just, you know, just wait it, wait it out. And sure enough, after a couple of weeks, my, my, my rib healed and I was fine. But what I noticed is ever since then in times of stress or in times, especially of stress with my back muscles, that part in the, in the middle of my back would kind of almost slip out and it would, it would create more stress in my back. And I would get these, these knots in my back. And so, uh, actually, you know, uh, when I was, dating Roe, thinking about marrying her, I had, she had to give me a back massage to see if, if she'd make a good wife. Some people, some people want, want, want girls to cook for them. I just wanted to know, are you able to give a good back massage? I don't care if you can cook or not. I can order my own pizza. But, but most of the time, girls like in Bible college, like, I'll give you a back massage. And they're just like touching your back. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, that's not doing anything. That's not like, like this scratching. That's not it. Like, but Ro, like, she's doing like this deep tissue massage. I'm like, oh, the Lord is in this place. And so I said, that's when I knew I needed to marry her. As soon as she gave me a great massage, I'm like, this is awesome. So anyway, I'm more, a little more utilitarian than some guys. I don't know. Uh, but it works. And so my, but my back would, during times of stress, it would, it would get out. And, and you say, well, well, yeah, that's, that's fine physically. But there's also, I mean, this is, I've seen this happen, play out time and time again in people's spiritual lives. That they have uh, recovered from the initial injury. They have been relieved from the initial pain. But they haven't fully dealt with the trauma. And so the effects, the lingering effects means that when times get stressful, 
2020, that when times get difficult, that when uh, a relationship gets tense, that when arguments flare, that when issues come out, suddenly there's this weakness in their, in their connection with God. I would, I would submit that in, in the way that I'm talking about trauma, when I say trauma, I mean things, I mean uh, powerful things that happen to you that are not within your control, but they have a tendency to disrupt your fellowship with Jesus. And we've all experienced these things. We've all experienced, essentially, a lot of times it's sin, but not sin that I did, sin that somebody did against me. So somebody was sketchy, lowered their shoulder, and cracked my rib, right? Uh, that's, you're not supposed to do that. Well, I mean, that's a small example for the kind of trauma and pain that's just represented in this room. It's amazing the amount of people that I talk to. And, and as, as children, they experienced sexual abuse, which is a certain kind of trauma that is not your fault, is not anything to do with you. It's somebody else's sin, but it does impact you and it does affect you, and it does, if you're not careful, disrupt your connection, your fellowship with Christ. This, that's what trauma does. We've had, it, it's, it's crazy to me, it's, it's interesting, Ro and I talk about this, we don't have a large church, but within our, what I would consider kind of medium-sized to small-sized church, we have several people who've experienced several of the same kinds of things. Which lets me know that this is not like very unique. I mean, obviously every person's pain is unique to them, but many of us have experienced similar kind of trauma. And even as I talk about cracked ribs, if you've ever had a cracked rib, like you, yep, I know how that feels. It might have been a different rib. It might have been for different reasons. You might have, your recovery might have taken longer, whatever. But, but we, we have shared experiences, which is why the enemy wants to keep us apart. Because the enemy wants you to think you're the only one who experienced uh, sexual abuse as a child. The enemy wants you to think you're the only one. The enemy wants, even though you know logically that you're not. But it, 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 it's, 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 it's physical abuse. There's verbal abuse that people have suffered from their parents. Parental abuse. There's, uh, I mean, tragic loss. Within our church, we have three people who l tragically lost their sons. Uh, uh, two of them in their 20s and, and one of them in their 30s. All within just a few years. And, and, and that's, that's trauma. That's traumatic. That affects you. That if you're not careful, that the enemy will try to use that to disrupt your fellowship with Christ. And it, and it works for a lot of people. These, these, these traumatic moments, these, these very painful moments that it's not your fault at all. And in that case, it's not even necessarily the sin of somebody. Right? It just, well, it's the sin of everybody, actually. It's the fact that we live in a fallen world, and in a sinful world, there are uh, accidents that, that happen that are nobody's particular fault, but it's, it's horrible. And so we have grieving moms and grieving dads and grieving uh, brothers and sisters and sister-in-laws and, and brother-in-laws, and we have the grief that goes out from that and, the, and how people respond to trauma, though. You might find relief over time, a little bit of relief, but the truth is the pain of that. Can, can carry forward with you. We have people who lost spouses. We have people, uh, so great loss can be traumatic. Actually, growing up with great poverty can be trauma. Never knowing if you're going to have enough. Uh, Roe Ro gets horses sometimes that were malnourished, and they're always, like, hungry. 
not because they're actually hungry, but because of the trauma of having to always wonder where your next meal is coming from. You just eat all the time. And so those that have grown up in extreme poverty, that can be a trauma that carries with them. And, and it's hard sometimes to trust that Jesus is enough when all your life you didn't know if you had enough. But also extreme wealth can be traumatic. Extreme wealth can be trauma. Kids that grow up never having to work for anything. And suddenly they realize life doesn't work like that. Suddenly they step into, and, and dad's not buying everything, and mom's not there to, to, to bail them out of everything. It, that, that can cause trauma that, that can sever their, their connection with, with Christ because it, it affects how you think of who God is. Well, God's just the guy who wants me to perform and get good grades, and then he'll pay for everything. But no, that's not, that's not him. God's looking at your heart. And so, so many uh, experiences in our life have created uh, trauma. There's, there's people that have experienced spiritual abuse. The amount of people at City Chapel that have come from toxic churches, and I'm not throwing shade at churches down the corner or whatever, but the truth is there are places that are toxic and they become abusive. And if you sit under that for seven years, it, it does something to you. You, you, you feel like you can't trust pastors. You feel like you can't trust leaders. If you're not careful, the trauma of what you've been through can, can disrupt your connection to Christ. And this is what the enemy wants to do. But the truth is that trauma is a liar. All right? So we've all experienced some kind of trauma. But what you need to understand is that, is that trauma will lie to you. How does, how does, for instance, how does past trauma affect present fellowship with Christ? Well, it doesn't because you're, you're removed from that situation. You're removed from that relationship. You're removed from that environment. So it doesn't affect it immediately, but the message from it will affect your fellowship with Christ. In other words, trauma always tells you something about yourself. And if you choose to believe your trauma... You will not, you cannot, he says, if we, if we claim to have fellowship with him, but we're walking about in darkness, we are lying to ourselves and not living out the truth. In other words, you can live out the truth or you can live out your trauma. You can, and, and, and trauma is always speaking to us. It's, for instance, for many who have uh, suffered sexual abuse that, that we've talked to, Trauma off, that trauma often says that you are worthless because something that was supposed to be precious was taken from you and, and why you and not somebody else. And so you must be worth less than others. You must be uh, not as valuable as others. That's what trauma will say. And, and even though, but the truth is like, it's the exact opposite of that. That trauma says that the enemy saw something valuable in you and tried to disrupt it at an early age when you were vulnerable. Trauma is always lying to us. It's always telling us who we are, and it's telling us who God is. And it's lying on both accounts. And so the, the way that trauma keep, stays with us and lingers, I, I know physically there's just, you, you just have a weakness there, and I just know I have a weakness there, and so I have to be proactive and, and work against that weakness. But spiritually, the way that it lingers with us is it keeps talking to us. 
and it lives in our head, and the messages from that event or those events keep speaking to us, and we agree, we come into agreement. So you, this, this is the point of my sermon. You need to break fellowship with trauma. You cannot have fellowship with Christ and trauma at the same time. You must break fellowship with your trauma. What does that mean? Does that mean I repress it? No. Does it mean I push it down and don't ever think about it? No. It means that in your memory, this trauma that lives in your memory, it's, it is in your memory, but the way that you remember it has got to change. It, you cannot let it tell you how to remember it. You cannot let it tell you how, what to believe from it. The way that you remember it, what you remember is the same. The events, the trauma, all of that is true. But what it says about God and what it says about you, you must change the way that that, that, that works because it's lying to you. And the truth is you are valuable. You are important. I mean, the, the word of God will speak to you the truth of who you are and who he is. And this is why John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him because coming into the light is coming into a revelation. It's coming into not just a revelation of, uh, of, 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 of my sin, but coming into a revelation of the sin that's been committed against me. What if, coming, what if when it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, it literally means all sin? Like all sin that I have committed, all sin that I have passed down from generation to generation inside of me, all sin that has been committed against me. What if it means all sin, literally all sin, that you can be cleansed, that the blood of Jesus can come against and can cleanse and purify and purge all sin so that the things I have got myself into, but also the things that other people have brought upon me, the things that other people have put on me. The things that other people have said to me and said about me and the ways that other people have treated me. Because so, trauma will create a narrative, man. Like the perfect example in scripture is, is Joseph. And Joseph has a narrative, right? As a 17-year-old Joseph, God speaks to him and he says, man, you're going to be the top dog and your brothers are going to bow down to you. This is the narrative that he's going to be in leadership over all of the world. And he has no idea how it's going to happen, but he's just so excited. What good news, right? And he shares with his brothers. His brothers don't agree with the narrative. And so his brothers, like, how traumatic is it? The people who are supposed to love you and protect you and care for you are the people who jump you and beat you up and sell you. <laughs> it's horrible. Exactly. They throw him in the bottom of a well. They're going to leave him there. And then they figure they can make a few bucks off of him. So they, they sell him to these Egyptians. These Egyptians take him, right? And, and what, I mean, so, so a massive trauma in his life. And you know that trauma is speaking to him. What's it saying? You can't trust anybody. You can't trust anybody. You have to figure this out on your own. God may have promised you this great thing, but you're going to have to figure this out on your own because it's not going to happen if you trust your brothers. It's not going to happen if you trust your father. It's not going to happen if you trust your mother. Nobody's there for you. You're all alone. And so he's sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house and he starts doing a really good job. Things are looking up. And then this lady, Potiphar's wife, wants to do some Netflix and chill with him. And he's actually more honorable than she is. And he says, I can't do that. And then she accuses him 
of doing things that she wanted him to do and he wouldn't do. And, 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 and then Potiphar believes her and puts him in jail. More trauma. You can't trust anybody. Nobody's going to be there for you. You're going to have to watch your back. Everybody's out to get you. Everybody's out to crush you. If you're ever going to be this great ruler, you're going to have to do this on your own. He goes to jail. He interprets some dreams for some guys. One of the guys, the interpretation is you're going to be reinstated in, 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 in the palace. And he says, hey, when you're reinstated, remember me, put in a good word for me. Guess what? <laughs> that guy forgot him. You can't trust anybody. He's rotting in a dungeon for like 17 years. And he comes out of that, and then, and then Pharaoh says, okay, so I have this dream, I have this interpretation, the most powerful man in the world. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world, and he says, I have this dream, I want you to give the, me the interpretation. Now, if you, throughout your life, have believed the narrative of trauma that you can't trust anybody, and you have to make your own, your own fortune, you have to fend for yourself, that's going to affect how you speak to Pharaoh, who actually has a lot of power over you. But instead, jo uh, Joseph says, I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> now, if you believe that you can't trust anybody, everybody's going to crush you, you don't present bad news to Pharaoh. Those, 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 yeah, those, the, you become a prosperity preacher real quick. Right? Like, man, those, those, thin, those thin cows, that's your past. And that, the Lord says, that's over. It's done. And uh, there's seven, seven. And we need to have an offering, $777. That guard right there, I think he's, he, he needs to give. And if you'll get, and then God's just going to bless you. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you, if you have walked away from trauma, believing that you have to set up your own destiny, that everybody's out to get you, you're going you're gonna to do your best to manipulate others before they manipulate you. And yet Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph has not believed the narrative of his trauma. What's he believed? Well, he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. All that time, Joseph was rejecting the continual narrative of his trauma and instead believing the word of God that he received when he was 17 years old. I'm telling you, the, the key to escaping the narrative of trauma is not to argue with your trauma, is not to try to reason with your trauma. You can't do that. Your trauma is a lot smarter than you and me. I've tried, all right? It's going to beat you every time. The only way to do it is to step into the light of God's word and say, I believe what God says about me, and I choose to walk in the light of what he says about me, and I choose. It's a decision. Which is why he says, if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light, Joseph walks away from this, this, this several events of trauma that, that should have stacked upon stacked upon stacked and had him buried under self-pity and had him buried under uh, self-hate and have him buried. But instead he comes out of that and he says, yeah, I know you meant it for evil, but there was a God above me who intended things for good. How did he get that? Well, he was walking in the light. To walk in the light means to step into the revelation or the knowledge that God has for us. And actually, the word walk in, uh, he says, if we walk in the light, the word walk does not, it's not the word typically for walking. It's, it's the word that would be used for like a vocation. In other words, it would be better to say, if our walk is in the light. 
it's, a, it's, it's, it's more of a, a profession, as opposed to just walking from one place to another with your legs. The idea here is that this is not, he's not talking about literally walking or exercising. He's talking about a life or a life goal or a life purpose. If we, if, if our walk is in the light, and the word walk is interesting. It's peripoptomen, peripoptomen. It's two words put together, poptomen, which means to have a profession or to have a study or to have a, a particular interest that is your life, right? There's my work life, there's my family life, there's my church life. That's what he's saying. He says, but the word peri is where we get our word perimeter from. It means to go around, to walk around. So technically, when he says, if we walk in the light, he's saying in, yes, in the light, but it's in and around the light. So, I mean, just to, as a visual, I guess, if, if this pulpit is Jesus and he is the light of the world, and there's light emanating from him. John is saying the way, to step, the way to step into fellowship with him is not to clean yourself up first, is not to deal with your trauma first. The way to step into fellowship with him is merely to come close to him, number one. Come close enough to where the light starts shining on you. But then... To spend your life walking around the light. And the idea here, poptomen means to examine something or to study something or to gaze on something or to be focused on something. So that my life is, many of us think that walking in the light is something like, you know, like we find the light, like this is Jesus. And then like we had this life going on. So we pick him up and we just, we carry him with us, you know. We have this idea that the light, sort of goes with us. But that's, that's, that's not what John's saying. John's saying that when you find the light, you stop going the direction you were going, and now you walk in circles. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. Well, you are going, so you're going closer and closer and closer to the light. And the closer, the proximity, the closer you get to the light, the more the light begins to radiate in you and through you and off of you. So that you end up becoming children of the light, is what John says. So this is, this is the goal, that we would spend our lives, that we would spend our, our time, that we would use our families and our marriages and everything, we'd start hovering around the light. And we're walking, we're obsessed with Christ, who is the light. We're walking around. So this is the question, what are you walking around? Because the same word, he says, if we walk in darkness then we are lying and we're not living out the truth. This is the exact same word if we walk around in darkness. This is why the, the, the 1 John chapter 1 is not about living a perfect life and never making any mistakes. Some people say, oh, well, if you have any darkness in your life at all, then you're not a Christian. If there's ever any mistakes in your life, then you can't be a Christian because you can't have fellowship. Well, look, this is, this is the point. Wherever you are today, you might be 10 steps further away from the light than I am. Or I might be 10 steps further away from the light than you are. But if we, wherever we're at, begin to walk around the light and get closer to the light, then we begin to have fellowship. And the, the distance we are from the light is, the, is, the, is the, the level of our fellowship. And, but as long as we're walking around the light. But when we stop walking around the light, when we get further and further out here, this is where the shadows are. This is where there is still some light on this side, but there's a lot of darkness on this side. <laughs> like, I'm this way in church, but then I'm this way at work throughout the week. 
Like there's still some, some light, but then there's some shadows. And, the, and, and what John is saying is if, you, uh, is if you permit shadows in your life, eventually the shadows will pull you into the darkness and your entire life will be about the darkness. You will walk around in darkness. Specifically, in the, what I'm talking on today, you'll walk around your trauma. You'll, like, it, this will be your trauma and you'll be studying it. You'll be remembering it. You'll be reacting out of it. You'll be making decisions based on it. Which is, which is something I would challenge you. Are you living out of trauma or are you living out of truth? Like your spending habits. Just money. Like we're, uh, uh, just, just simply money. Do you save and spend and do you handle your money in the way you handle your money because truth has told you to handle your money that way? Or do you handle your money in the way you handle your money because trauma has taught you to handle it that way? I'm convinced that many people do not have money problems. They have trauma problems. And their trauma tells them, because this is what happens, like when my back gets out, suddenly my other muscles on my back, that they all have a job. Suddenly they get another job. They get a job of trying to hold my spine together and they're never supposed to have that job. Which is why my back muscles get stressed out because they're doing something they're never supposed to do. And I think with many resources, whether it's relationships or money or time or church or whatever resource you might have, when, when you're bringing trauma into the, in, into the relationship, that trauma says, hey, you also have to fix me. But my marriage isn't supposed to fix you. But, but okay, but it has to. So your trauma says, no, no, that, that resource that's supposed to be for that, it also needs to come over here. So your money, yeah, you also you need to put some money toward fixing me or at least keeping me from going crazy. And what happens is our resources become stretched and strained because they're going toward areas they're not meant to go toward. They're doing things they're not, they're trying to do things they're not meant to do. And your back muscles can't handle it. They already have a job. Your money already has a job. It's to provide for your family. It's to give to the poor. It's to support the local uh, work of God on the earth. Your money already has a job. But when suddenly you have the insecurity of not knowing if any, oh, well, what, what's going to come next because you grew up in extreme poverty and that trauma says, no, your money has to do that, 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 and we have to have this amount of savings before we can sleep at night. Now, wait a minute. Your money can't do that. It's, it's stretched, it's strained, and now you're working way harder than you're supposed to be working, far more hours than you're supposed to be working, trying to help your trauma. And your back muscles are strained because they're doing stuff they're not meant to do. And so what he's saying is, look, you can walk around your trauma if you want, but whatever you walk around will order your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. Because what you seek first orders everything else. And so John is saying, look, I want you to walk around the light. And if you're not seeking first the light, then you're going to be seeking first the darkness. And you can't walk in both places at the same time. But the good news is that the light is far more powerful than the darkness. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot even comprehend it. The darkness can't stop it. And so wherever you're at today, the goal is not to, well, okay, I got to deal with my trauma and get rid of that before I can come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus with your trauma and he shines his light on you and your trauma. He teaches you how to remember. A personal example, personal example. When I talk about church hurt, I'm talking from personal example. I'm not just talking from walking alongside people, although I've done that. 
But the truth is, I grew up in a church that I think was very healthy in the beginning. And I think at some point it became less about God and more about people. Not like people that we were trying to reach because we really weren't trying to reach any people. More like the people who were there and especially the people who were in charge. So I would say to you that toxic, a, a toxic church, really it's just whenever a church decides that the Great Commission is meh, it's when they decide that they have a better goal than the Great Commission, whatever that may be. It may be a very noble goal, maybe writing books, it may be making music, it may be, I don't know, something. But whenever Christ's command to the church to go into all the world and make disciples of every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth, when, when that becomes secondary to something else, and things start to get fishy. When leadership is not accountable with their finances, <laughs> things start to get sketchy. When leadership is not accountable to anybody for anything, when there's a controlling spirit, when nobody can lead anything because nobody's really good enough to do that because we haven't made sure that they're holy enough to walk. And when, I mean, things can get, can get weird. And preaching can then get weird. And preaching can be more about bashing the church down the street or, or the, the modern-day church because they're compromisers because they have a lot of people, so they must not be telling the truth. But we are the ones who are going to heaven because we have the truth. You have to be careful about that. If any church, if you're afraid to leave a church, that's a bad sign. If the worst thing you could do to the pastor is leave the church, that's a bad sign. It's not a good pastor. If the pastor spends most of his time trying to keep people in the church, that's a bad sign. If gossip, if they use gossip to try to pit people against each other, that's a bad sign. If they share secrets with some people and some people, that's not good. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So whatever church you're a part of, that's going on. You need to get out of there. It's not healthy. It's really not. And, and when they're more concerned about money, and, and if somebody tells you you don't have to pray about something because they've already told you what to do, that's a bad sign. I'm just saying. And, and you, it happens slowly. And, and what happens is, you, this, this, uh, this darkness, man, you're not walking in the light. You're walking on the edge and the outskirts and little bits of darkness creep into the church structure and into the church leadership. And before long, things are not what they used to be. And I remember I was 23 and the pastor and his wife sat down with my mom and dad and laid out seven different things that they had been doing wrong that people in the church had told them like for the past like years. The one story was a guy who four years earlier had said, I think he said, dad, said like a harsh word when he was helping him like install his washing machine or something and he kind of rubbed him the wrong way and I was like and so that's not biblical Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 if you have something against your brother you don't even go to church man you stop you leave your gift beside the altar you go first be reconciled with your brother you don't go gossip with people in the church and then five years later the pastor can lay out this list of stuff you've been doing wrong like, it's just, it's just so not biblical. And so, and it was difficult because I love those people. They sowed into my life. They did. God used them. That can be confusing. Yeah. Sure. Any abuse can be a confusing. Because yeah. your parents were your parents and they were great, but they did that. How did great people do that? So any abuse, any, any toxic, any trauma is going to be confusing. 
And I remember during that time, and like my brother and I went to meet with the pastor and his wife because I just couldn't believe the stuff I was hearing. I was like, oh, this seems weird. I need to meet with them myself. And we ended up having to leave the meeting. Because stuff I said, well, I'm not going to talk bad about the, I'm not, I'm not. and then it just it kept, so I, finally I said, like, I guess we can't have this conversation. I need to go. And so we ended up having to leave the meeting, and, and I was pretty, you know, discouraged, disillusioned, 23 years old. It's kind of weird. But, man, you got to keep walking in the light. Like, there are, there are things that will happen. There are things that people will do, and they don't even <laughs> I remember I, 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 asked, I, I asked a great pastor, I said, what would you say? to somebody who, you know, hypothetical situation. Um, what would you say to somebody? And he said, well, Proverbs, he quoted from Proverbs, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. And I said, yeah, that doesn't help me. <laughs> Hitler was right in his own eyes. Like, doesn't mean he's right. But it is true because the, the, the people you may be hurt at, they are literally doing what they think is right. And so, and so I said, okay. And, and, and then that later, it was like four months later, I was in a, 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 a worship gathering. It was a young, it was a youth camp. I was supposed to be preaching and God just moved so mightily. I didn't even get a chance to preach. And people were, kids were dancing and, and stuff. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And God was moving. And I don't know if you can picture this, but I was just laid out on the stage. Like I was supposed to be preaching, but I was just, okay, I'll just show you. I was just like, I was just out. And I was just like, you know, and you just, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you just can't be. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I couldn't hardly get up. And, and I was just soaking in the presence of, of God. Like when you're in the light, when you're like really close, <laughs> it just, it's, it's, it's warm, it's comforting. All the burdens and junk of all the expectations and all the disappointments of people and it just goes away and you're just I'm just laying there I'm just and I remember in the back of my head there's this issue right because I and so I thought man I should probably ask God about that I should probably pray about that right now <laughs> and I'm laying there and um and I never forget like I, I was starting to maybe pray about that church and that whole deal and suddenly I just had this vision this vision in my mind and, and what it was is this is before Google Earth it's 2003 but um <laughs> This is like, I, I had this vision of like, like, you know, like there was like a picture of my pastor and his wife and the church and, and then the, it started zooming out, you know, and I could sort of see the outline of Michigan, the, the, the mitt, and then I could zoom out and see the outline of the United States and, you know, Florida and Texas and then, and then the North America and Central America, South America and the clouds and just kind of kept zooming out and there's the globe and kind of kept zooming out. There's, there's, the, there's the moon and then it kept zooming out. There's the sun and the sun's getting smaller and then there's this Milky Way amongst all these other, there's, and there's some other galaxies and just kind of kept zooming out. And then God was like, what was that? you're going to ask me about? <laughs> and I said, yeah, what, what was it? <laughs> it was something. It was something really important. <laughs> and what happened? Well, I stepped into the light. And not only did I see myself, but I saw that situation. And I saw those, those people. And I saw that they were hurting. And I saw that they didn't know what to do. And I saw that their church was shrinking and the budget was shrinking and the, and it wasn't, and, and other churches were growing and theirs what, and I like, and I said, oh, yeah, they didn't really do anything wrong to me. 
And, and it's amazing. Like when we walk in the light, we have the revelation from the Father about our trauma. And it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't say that, well, I guess whatever they did was fine. No, but it allows me to release them. Of ever needing to hear them say, I'm sorry. Ever needing to hear them, you know, come back, well, yeah, we shouldn't have treated you like that. And it allows me potentially to actually have reconciliation with them. That's a different matter, reconciliation and forgiveness. But actually, reconciliation did happen. It was so interesting because before, uh, before we had left the church, um, I, I mentioned that I wasn't in town whenever that happened in 2003, um, but I had been very involved in the church, and the last time I was there, I led a prayer meeting. Everybody prayed for me because I was going to West Virginia for like six weeks for an internship, and, and um, I, was, I was closing up, locking everything up, turning off all the lights, and as I was walking out, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, have a good look around, and I was like, Okay, so I just stood there, and, and I said, well, why? And he said, well, because you're not going to be here for, again for a while. I said, it's just a six-week internship, Lord. I think it'll be all right. And, and he said, how about, how about a decade? And I, I couldn't, I, like, I, my 23-year-old brain couldn't imagine a 33-year-old Harry, period, um, and definitely couldn't imagine not going back because that, that was my church. That was my home. That's where I was. And, um, and then all this stuff went down. And then, you know, time goes on. And later on that year, about a year later, God reminded me about that in prayer. He said, remember, I, I told you you weren't going back. And I said, well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I didn't think you meant it. Like, you just, throw, I thought it was just me. Like, I was just thinking weird things. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm telling you. And what was crazy is right about 10 years later, I was home for Christmas and I just got in the day, but it was a Saturday. I think Christmas was like Monday or Tuesday or something. And Saturday night, like 11 o'clock, the pastor calls me and says, Hey, I heard you're in town. And I said, I am actually. And I said, how'd you get my number? And he said, well, yeah, I got it from your mom. And he said, you know, would you like to come preach for us tomorrow? I said, uh, sure. So what was cool is I got to stand up. There was like 13 people there, you know, the same, the same faithful, faithful people. And I got to share almost like a Joseph story. Like, look, God's brought me to Texas. This is what God's been doing. And honestly, many of it is because of what they poured into me when I was 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 years old. They're a part of what I've done. And, and, and I can see the fruit now, like, and not not it's trauma doesn't talk to me now it's not like well they they did that they did you wrong they it's not about that it's about look look what you guys poured in me like you guys are part of who i am and i'm thankful and so i just got to share and um the next week the pastor announced that they were closing down the church and because just just couldn't carry on but it was it was so cool that god let me go back into that building 10 years later without hurt, without trauma, without any ill feelings. And I believe that's what God wants to do for each and every one of you. I'm not saying that the reconciliation like that will always happen. But I am saying that if we walk around the light as he is in the light, he will speak to us and he will give us a divine perspective on our past trauma. And so, Father, right now, I just pray over each and every person here, and many have gone through trauma that I have not.
Many have gone through trauma that I didn't even mention. Many have gone through trauma that I did mention, and it's, and it's, and it's very difficult, and it's very uh, debilitating at times, and it is disruptive. But Lord, your blood is more powerful than our trauma. We place the light of Jesus at a higher level than what we've gone through. Your blood and your light is able to shine in the darkness, is able to illuminate not only our own sin, but the sin that's been committed against us. Sometimes it wasn't even sin. Sometimes it's just the tragedy that has happened to us. Sometimes it's just the ignorance of people that were supposed to be taking care of us or leading us. They just didn't know how to do it right, and they just did the best they could, but they didn't know what they were doing. And it caused hurt and it caused pain. But your, your blood comes in and washes us free from all sin and from those effects of sin so that we are pure. This is how we can have fellowship with a pure God because he himself cleans us up. He himself purifies us. And so, Lord, we choose to step into the light. I don't know what, what that means for you this week or today. I know last week we talked about posture. This week it really might be about stepping into the light in terms of uh, just asking God, Lord, what do you, how do you see the trauma that happened to me? Lord, share with me your perspective on my trauma. Share with me your vantage point. And actually, this is where, according to James, uh, the connection of the community really helps. He said, in James, he said, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. In other words, you go to God for forgiveness and you go to God's people for healing. As I was praying about this message, I, was, I felt like I was challenged by God to challenge you all to step into some radical healing. Meaning that God may want you to bring some things into the light with somebody that you trust, with somebody that loves Jesus and loves you. But there may be some things that you've never told. Maybe, even, maybe it's just your spouse. Maybe you've never told your spouse about something you've been through. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's a friend that you have here at City Chapel, or, hey, I'm available. <laughs> but there's power when we bring it into the light. There's power when we say, this happened to me at seven years old, and I've, I think I've kind of believed this ever since. This happened to me when I was 15, and I'm tempted to believe this ever since. Just bring it into the light. That person may not have any great wisdom or any great, but James says, confess your sins one to another that you may experience healing. It's amazing when we begin to be the body of Jesus. And so that might be the challenge for you is really pray about somebody, somebody that you trust, somebody that is healthy in your life, is a believer, loves Jesus, loves you, that you can confess some things and say, look, I don't want you to do anything. You can't go back and fix it. That's not the point. The point is I just need to bring it into the light for me to have healing. So Lord, would you, would you speak to each one of us? Wouldn't that be radical? That'd be some radical revival right there. I'm excited about small group signups, but that'd be some radical revival right there. If there was actually a church that was willing to bring their trauma into the light. I wonder what kind of things God could do. 
I wonder what kind of wounds God would heal. I wonder what kind of people God would raise up from that kind of church. Hmm. If it's for you, take it. Go with it. Be obedient to it. Um, I believe God's doing some awesome things.